Welcome to our next episode of the 5 Moments of Need Performance Matters series. This is Bob Mosier, one of the many co-hosts you'll meet throughout this series. So friends, are you trying to learn more about the 5 Moments of Need? Maybe how to design for them, implement for them, measure them and even sell them as an approach to your enterprise. Well, in the Performance Matters series, we will help you better understand the theory and best practices behind this powerful methodology and offer proven ways to put the five moments of need into practice. Greetings, friends, and welcome back to another Performance Matters podcast. Bob Mosier here, as was introduced in the beginning, one of your co-hosts, and I'm honored once again to be joined by my dear friend and colleague, Con Gopferson. How are you, Con? I'm great, Bob. It's good to be with you. <laughs> it's, it's good to be anywhere in these times <laughs> we're, yeah, that's we're in right now, huh? Yeah. Just, just, just crazy. And so today's going to be an interesting podcast because what we're trying to do today, friends, is add some clarity to the journey toward the five moments and workflow learning in general. There's so much buzz out there about doing this, which is wonderful. At the same time, with buzz comes noise and confusion. And this pandemic has really challenged traditional learning approaches like never before. And so we've gotten a lot of feedback and chatter around terrific. I want to join the, I want to join this journey. My organization wants to be a part of this. And then almost the very next thing that follows is uh, how do I start? And starting is one thing. We talked about that, frankly, in some other podcasts, but this particular run around strategy matters is to really help us as an industry put a stake in the ground. It's, it's one thing friends to start, but no, everyone doesn't start from A. And depending on where you are as an organization, depending on your efforts in workflow learning, depending on your efforts in five moments, if you're familiar or have the certificate and other things, you're not starting at A. You might be starting at L or F or S. I mean, it could be some amazing parts. And so part of starting is knowing where you are on what we're calling a maturity model journey here. Con, can you get us started on? what we mean by maturity model and why one frankly is so important when it comes to being effective at starting. Yeah. Well, if we don't know where we are and we don't know where we're going, how in heaven's name will we ever get to where we need to be? (laughs) That's what a maturity model is all about. It's a a map, uh, so to speak, that helps us see where we are and also chart a course of where we need to be based upon the unique circumstances of an organization. And when it comes to learning, then a maturity model is just that. It provides the means for getting to where we need to be, starting first with an understanding of where we are. There's never been a a time where we've needed to have, as you said, Bob, the clarity required to chart that journey, to make the journey. We, we have to make the journey, the journey to an organization where performance really does matter and where we're impacting an organization's ability to perform at the speed of change. And so a maturity model is, is that gift that helps us know where we are and where we need to go. So let's clarify a word that we're going to use throughout this and its capabilities. A lot of maturity models are based on competencies. And as we'll outline the model in a bit, we have taken an intentional pivot 
on capabilities in this case. Why, why is that word versus competencies? I don't know if versus is the right word, but why is that word so important to us in this model and it being helpful, do you think? Well, for us, uh, the word capability is more tactical. Competencies tend to have lots of meanings, different meanings to organizations as they use that word to mean different things. And a competency needs to be that, but it, it can mean so many other things. So capability is where we've determined that we need to focus on because that is something that we can tactically then go after and develop. Mm. Friends, let's put the stake in the ground here a little bit and be sure you're comfortable. This maturity model is not something that we've created out of thin air. There's a lot of rich history in it, and it started actually as far back as June of 2015 when we first started talking about this. And many of you on this call, if you're not familiar with it, we'd love to have you join, is we have this very rich performance support online community. It's been around for well over 15 years. And along the way, the organizations that were members of that struggled with this very thing. It was a little more immature <laughs> relative to maturity models in many ways, but we were struggling at the time with performance support. Not what we think now is the broader conversation we're having around the full five moments of which performance support is a part and even workflow learning. But we had a performance support advisory council, five wonderful colleagues of yours that were heads of very large, in some cases, pretty large, learning organizations, and they worked as practitioners to come up with ways in which we could look at this. So that was the beginning of putting this into some form of order, and we introduced it to the performance support community back then, but it's matured quite a bit since then, as you'd hope. Kind of, let's talk a little bit about the benchmarking data that we've also worked on. How has that come into play as an important part of the effectiveness of this model, in your opinion? Well, in January of this year, we looked at the work that had been done on the maturity model by the performance support community, and we also began to look at all the rich data that we have gathered over two years of benchmarking work that we've done against the five moments of learning need. And that's a broader view than performance support. The heart of workflow learning, of course, is performance support. You can't enable it, but you also can't ignore the formal learning side of things as well, the moments of learn new and learn more, as well as the moments of apply, change, and solve. And so we began in January with real intent, looking at the benchmarking data that we had, at the work that we did last year at the first summit that we held looking at where learning needed to go and have put in some real significant work creating what we now have as a model for where we need to be and where we need to go. And the key thing I think out of this, as we'll talk about in a bit, is that it's one thing to put a stake in the ground, which is important. That's the first stage, I think, of using a maturity model. But at the same time, we've worked very hard that it is also a way that spells out a plan. It spells out the next steps you would take in your journey to level up, as we call it. Right? You're going you're to identify a level that you're at and a level that you may want to get to. And that level may be levels above the one you're at. You might be a one and you might want to get to level four. So that's quite a jump. So at the same time, you have to have a way to, in an evolutionary way, get to that next level realistically, knowing that a jump from one to four is probably not. 
because there's I'm a lot involved in the difference between those levels. But likewise, it shouldn't just be that, okay, here I am. It should also be a how to spell out and get to that next important part of a plan to get to that next level. So friend, we keep using this climb example in the summit. How is the fundamental layout of the maturity model designed and such? As we looked at how do we provide organizations a way of moving from where they are to where they need to be, we've used the analogy of a climb. And it was based upon all of the summit work that I mentioned earlier that we did last year at our summit in Sundance, where we were working together with a hundred wonderful people from organizations throughout the world to figure out how do we get to where we need to go. And so we've identified four stages of the journey where stage one in that approach is where most organizations are today in the traditional learning model, looking at workflow learning, but not quite being where they need to be with all those capabilities. All the way up to the summit, a fourth level, which is where every organization ought to strive to be, but certainly it's a daunting summit to just go after and to climb to. And so we've staged uh, levels of capabilities, if you will, to reach that summit to the degree that organizations in various areas of capability and see that they need to get there. The good news about all of this is that we've developed a model that will allow an organization to realistically, systematically make their way along this journey, because that's really what it's all about. It's a, it's a journey of developing capabilities in a prioritized way based upon the readiness of the organization to allow you to get to where you need to be. So Khan, let's peel the onion back a little bit. So give us some breakdown of this, at least holistically, before we'll go much deeper in future podcasts in this as others join us. Well, you talked about these fundamental capabilities. What are the categories? And then if you don't mind, what are they supported by? What's the breakdown? We've identified three categories of capabilities, uh, strategic capabilities, tactical capabilities, and technical capabilities. And so in, in the strategic capability area, we're looking at governance, at the relationship that learning has with their partner, the lines of business, with the organization itself, and the whole change leadership, everything that's involved with strategically how do we navigate working with the business to a true workflow learning model and approach and that will work? So that strategic capabilities becomes very important. But then there are tactical capabilities, the ability to build and develop and do. And when you move to workflow learning, goodness gracious, there are new capabilities that need to be developed. And we have to be able to rethink our design approach and how we manage projects in an agile way, all of which is the tactical capabilities. And then there's the technical capabilities, which are the technologies that need to support all that we need to be able to do. And so we have 35 specific capability areas with very detailed rubrics around those capability areas spread out across these three categories, strategic, tactical, and technical. So Khan, 
in our experience and your work, do you just go after low-hanging fruit? <laughs> well, it depends on whose low-hanging fruit you're looking at. Every organization, <laughs> every organization is in a different place. And so what we do is we move in and we do a current state assessment across those 35 capability areas. Where are you? And then we look at where do you want to be? Where does it make sense for you to be in terms of your future state? And then we move through a journey of identifying the challenges and the opportunities that are unique to that organization in the context of that maturity model. And once we have all of that, then we can move through some very powerful change readiness analysis work to understand two things. One is the urgency, the organizational urgency around each of those 35 specific capabilities, but also the resistance that is potentially within the organization, both the L&D group, and, but also the business itself. And when you have all of that together, then you have a formula for prioritizing based upon the uniqueness of the organization and where you are prioritizing the journey of where you ought to go and where the low-hanging fruit really is for you as an organization because you've got to have that balance of you want to go after where there's the least amount of resistance and the greatest amount of urgency. Yeah, the change readiness part I think is the crux for me and I, I think it's one of those powerful ones because I think in our organizations we tend to choose poorly when it comes to our journey in this. And I'm not, I'm not throwing stones here at anyone. I, I totally get it. But before a tool like this or dialogues like this, Con, I think it was really literally low-hanging fruit, the path of least resistance from our perspective. And I think the biggest piece left out, candidly, was the enterprise perspective. How prepared are they to have this conversation? How prepared are they to join us in the journey? What are some areas they, frankly, might want to pull us along in that we may not be ready for, but with their help, we could possibly reprioritize or approach something in a very different way. So that change readiness thing has always been eye-opening to me because it really isn't just from L&D's perspective. And obviously tacticals probably the most near and dear to us, if not technical, because those are areas that we directly are affected by or affect our team. But the reality is, as we've seen, if, if you don't attempt that strategic capability, if there's not some readiness there, you can really make some mistakes downstream when you try to approach other things. That's so true, Bob. Every organization has a unique set of challenges that they face. And so they need to be able to navigate their way through those challenges based upon a very strong change leadership, change management approach, or you're going to get quicksand. And quicksand just brings you to a screeching halt. We're watching an organization right now navigate the challenging waters of content management, trying to move back into that world that L&D abandoned a, a number of years ago because it was so difficult. And you just can't get there if you don't have a clear course and know what you can do and what you can't do based upon the organization's readiness for it. I, I think that's one of my favorite parts of the maturity model con is, is if you don't know what you don't know, how are you going to get there? We said this earlier, and those 35 capability areas are so eye-opening to me, many of which I think if the listeners to this would take a look at, I know for me, wasn't even aware of half of them. 
and so I think this does a wonderful job of broadening our view of what it truly does take to make this kind of a change. We're turning an ocean liner around here. We throw out very flippantly this, well, just change your mindset from a training one to a performance one. Well, everyone gets that, but the intricacies of the change management, the tactical things that need to be learned and done by an L&D team that they may not do now, the technical capabilities and capacity that we have by using existing tools, which in many cases in our work we found might work or at least get us started, but there's a whole host of ones we're not even aware of that are a part of this discipline that are beyond our purview right now because of the narrow way sometimes in which we have looked at L&D. So the richness of broadening the conversation, of broadening L&D's view of these capabilities really takes on a transformational approach for them in this context. When you've done this, what do you think have been the biggest ahas to L&D teams when they've looked across these? You've been so much a part of these conversations at an intimate level. When you eavesdrop on those conversations, can you share some ahas or some, I would never thought of that, or <laughs> realignments that you've heard come out of these discussions that you've found to be powerful for these teams? You know, Bob, the most wonderful part of this is as we've approached each of those 35 specific capability areas, there's a rich discussion that the L&D team have had around that. It opens the door to discussions about where are we really? We have these detailed rubrics to kind of describe where they are and where they want to go, but the discussions about where we really are and where we really want to go is just so invaluable. And it's unique to every organization. But goodness, when you step in and start to look at all the different places across strategic and tactical and technical readiness of organizations, the richness of the discussions and the value of those discussions, we have developed a way of capturing that and folding that back into uh, recommendations and guidance. And it's just really been interesting. Obviously, at, at the heart of it all is what truly is workflow learning? And how do we get there with all that can stand in the way? And the awareness of what true workflow learning is, which is learning while you actually do your work. That is not easily achieved with a mindset of learning. It requires a shift of a mindset of performance. And in those discussions, that's the shift that happens as the L&D team start to look toward a more significant role for them to play in the organization. That is to enable effective performance at the speed of change in their various organizations, to make it possible for their organizations to meet the challenges of today. And the challenge isn't learning. The challenge is being able to pivot and perform differently based upon the changes of markets and, and the world around us. And we're more ready and able to do that if we'll just find our way and chart our way. And the maturity model is what can help us do that. You know, I think one of the most powerful examples of that, if you folks tune into our last podcast, the live one we did with those wonderful, courageous learning leaders, Mark Wagner tells a wonderful story, and he's actually going to be a part of a future podcast to go deeper. But 
about how he was at the Hartford was challenged with some pretty significant role changes from folks he supported. And his ability, Khan, to pivot in a record time, in a performance focus, his learners to do the same, not just his L&D team, which is one thing to make such a dramatic pivot in, again, a matter of days, not weeks and months of courses or classes or e-learnings, but literally in a matter of days, was a tribute to his organization as an L&D team, but also to the Hartford as an enterprise that has adopted workflow learning as the tip of the sword. It's what they think first. And so to naturally rearrange roles, rearrange workflows, dramatically change what people do, but the underpinnings of all those things remaining the same because of the degree of design they had done at the performance level, but then put that out to the audience and for them to go, yeah, I get it. I understand how this works. I use the tool every day. A reorienting is something I can reorient myself to quite quickly because of that change in mindset, not just of the L&D team, but more critically, and this falls under the strategic capability side, but the enterprise to fundamentally shift its view to one of performance first as well. It really changes what we can do and more importantly, how agile the organization is to make remarkable pivots that the pandemic's requiring, but that the world will require going forward. So Con, let's go a bit deeper into just a couple of these capabilities. When you look across this and the work that you've done and we've done with organizations, what are two you pick out that you think would be new to our listeners or maybe a change in how they currently might look at them thinking how they've done it in the past or are being challenged to do in today's remarkable and crazy times? There are a number of them, but one area that was has been especially interesting in our discussions with organizations has been under the category of change leadership. And one of the capability areas is the capacity to respond to adaptive challenges. The adaptive capacity or capability of a workforce is so critical today. And when you move into the workflow and you're dealing with workflow learning, that's the most changing environment that there is, the workflow. And we have the ability to develop the skill of adaptiveness when we push learning into the workflow. And so the discussions around that, around how to develop the adaptive capacity of a workforce and how to support that adaptiveness through learning, because not only performing at the speed of change, but it's learning, unlearning, and relearning that organizations need to do. And that is just an area that is especially challenging, but also enlightening in, mm. in our conversations. So let me take you back just one level, Con, and, and just clarify something before we sort of wrap here. Change leadership will be new to folks. Change management is one thing. Everyone's heard of change management. And of course, it's a part of this maturity model. But what do we mean by change leadership? What does that category encompass to you? Well, leading change, it's different than managing change. Leading change is where you get ahead of change, where you're actually orchestrating the assets of the organization, people and resources, other resources to get ahead of change that's coming at you. And so there's a lot to leading change once you have a change plan in place, there are things that you do to manage that change plan, but you don't put together a change plan without leadership. 
because you've got to bring the organization along. And every change initiative, an organization has to expend additional energy to navigate that change over a period of time. And so lifting the organization to a place and motivating an organization to move through that change in a systematic, safe manner requires a lot of leadership capability. And that doesn't mean that you're a leader in the organization, i.e. with a position, but you're leading in terms of helping the organization make that journey of change, if that makes sense. Mm. And much broader than we traditionally think, in my opinion, in in Team's approach. So future podcasts, the very next one, will be a bit deeper. We'll be joined by a guest to talk to us a bit more about the realities of the maturity model. But for today, it was to understand what this is, why it's important. And friends, you know, whatever you do or whatever approach you attempt to adopt, you need to approach that with the one that guides you from where you are to where you have to go. And most importantly, you need a way to get there. You you can't go at this blind or based on older constructs and definitely with one that's a training first mindset. This involves a new strategy, new tactics, and new technologies that L&D really aren't using or aware of in the past. So we hope this idea of a maturity model begins to wet your whistle. You'll want to hear more in a future session. By all means, let us know questions, concerns you have about anything you've heard or any further information about the model in general. Happy to help. Khan, thanks so much. Always great having you here, my friend. Thank you, Bob. Thanks, friends. Be safe, be well. Talk to you soon. Well, that's it for this episode of the Five Moments of Need Performance Matters series. We look forward to future conversations around how to best put the five moments of need into practice. We welcome your feedback and can be reached on Twitter using my Twitter handle at BMOSH, as well as our Five Moments of Need website, which is www.thenumber5momentsofneed.com. We hope you're finding these helpful and will subscribe to future episodes. Have a great day, friends.